much, shaking everybody. You're listening to ImpTab Avatar Blades in the Dao Fei, the Blades in the Dark actual play where we make up almost everything on the spot. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I'm joined by Christian Randall, Evan Peterson, the sweet and sultry Thomas Ryan. Ooh, we're uh, starting off strong, trying to endear ourselves to the fans here, aren't we? Uh, you have to sell. I mean, I, I am who I am. Yeah, you're really trying to lean into the vibes of your character, it sounds like. Ideally, yes. I'm, I never break character until the DVD commentary, so. <laughs> of course. So here we are for our session zero for our much anticipated Blades the Daofei campaign. We're going to talk about who our characters are. We're going to talk about the world as it stands. We're going to talk about the crew, this gang of Daofei criminals that we're going to be working as. And so I guess I'll start this off by talking about the setting a little bit and what is kind of specific to our situation here. So first of all, spoiler warning, major, major heckin' spoiler warning for the Kyoshi novels. <laughs> some of the core tensions of this campaign are going to lean in very, very heavily to some stuff that happens in the Kyoshi novels. Uh, we didn't actually do a spoiler warning for 10,000 Things Now I'm Thinking About It. I guess we were just kind of assuming that if you were here to listen to an Avatar campaign, you'd probably already seen the series. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to make that same assumption here. Kyoshi novels are a bit more esoteric, a bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Periphery? Obscure? Uh, apocryphal Ooh, than yeah. uh, the main television series, but they are very good, and I would 100% recommend that you go read them. You don't necessarily have to if you don't care about spoilers for those books, but yes, those are going to happen. So, first things first, the state of the world as we arrive within it. Our campaign is going to take place about 16 years after the end of the book Shadow of Kiyoshi. That is the second of the Kiyoshi novels. We are going to be in Bossing Sei, the Great Walled City, the impenetrable city. And the city is currently under lockdown due to the threat of Chin the Conqueror, who you may remember from the original Avatar The Last Airbender series as a guy who was doing a lot of bad stuff in the Earth Kingdom, trying to take over the entire continent for himself before Kiyoshi finally offed him. And so that is what Avatar Kiyoshi is doing at the moment. She is off working to end the threat of Chin the Conqueror while Bossing Sei is under lockdown. So probably not gonna be seeing too much of her because she's really busy. Also not gonna be seeing too much of her because she is largely unwanted in Bossing Sei at the moment. The reason being when she was young and before she was kind of like publicly known as the Avatar, she teamed up with a group of Daofei criminals that is another aspect of the lore of the Kyoshi novels is at this time in the Earth Kingdom, one of the core tensions of what's going on socially is these Daofei crews, these kind of organized, honorable criminals. And so, yeah, Kyoshi teamed up with one of these Daofei groups when she was younger. And as part of becoming a Daofei, you make an oath that you're always going to be a criminal and you're never going to go back to being a law abider. You're not going to work with like government officials or whatever. And surprise, she's the avatar. So that's what she kind of had to end up doing. And this knowledge by this point has become pretty widely known. Like pretty much everybody knows that the avatar was a Daofei at one point. And therefore the law abiders are distrustful of her because it's like, hey, you're a lawful criminal. And the Daofei also don't really want her around because she broke the Daofei code by working with government officials. So she's a bit of an outcast from Bossing Say at the moment and is trying to kind of reclaim some face in the public by stopping Shin the Conqueror from destroying the world. 
so that is what the Avatar is doing at the moment. Stuff that's going on in the city as well, uh, aside from being in lockdown, it's difficult for people to get in, difficult for people to get out. And that actually does kind of tie in with some of the themes of Blades in the Dark. The way that it was written, it was tied very strongly to this city of Duskfall. And there are a few tropes that we've taken from Duskfall and are kind of applying over to Bossing State so we can achieve the same sort of feeling. And one of it is we want to have a pressure cooker sort of environment, a place where all of these criminal thugs and gangs are kind of tied up closely together. There's a scarcity of resources. There's this constant like battle for supremacy between the different groups. And so having Bossing Say be on lockdown currently leans into that. Another thing that we want to lean into is in Blades in the Dark, there's weird like occult spirity stuff that goes on. And in the Avatar canon, we see fluctuations in the amount of spirit activity from time to time, starting like with Avatar Wan in his era, people and spirits were interacting fairly freely. Uh, by the time we get to Aang's era, seeing a spirit is a pretty rare occurrence. But then all the way up to Korra, we see like there is a spirit portal in the middle of Republic City and people are just kind of going back and forth pretty freely. And so at this time in Boston, say, we are seeing an all-time high of spiritual activity within the walls of the city. That is going to tie in with the mechanics of Blades in the Dark in terms of being able to, uh, we have a skill called Attune that lets you reach out and kind of attune your mind to the spirit world and whatnot. It also leads to some arcane tinkering kind of stuff. And in Blades in the Dark, there is a physical manifestation of that arcane power, this Leviathan blood that is a physical substance that you can do weird spirity kind of stuff with. So we need to have a physical substance that represents the spirit world, the increased spiritual activity we're seeing at the moment. So what I have in mind is this weird green spirit goo. And what I, what I do want to decide, you know, this is a collaborative storytelling effort. So our first official collaborative decision, do we want to just like straight up call this stuff ectoplasm? Like, do we want to <laughs> lean into the Ghostbusters vibe or do we want to come up with another cool name for it? So when you first started that sentence, I did not know where it was going to end up, but I was going to pitch <laughs> tea as the like the ghost essence or whatever. Oh. So just like straight up tea. <laughs> I, I, is there any way to like marry the ideas? Like there is maybe not just all tea, but a specific kind of thing <laughs> where you can brew a tea that is spooky tea. Green tea. <laughs> Green tea. It's like an underground like illicit substance. The tea trade. Yeah, I don't know. I think tea is just like such a ubiquitous part of life in the average. <laughs> our universe that if yeah it has to be something weird something kind of off the beaten path see i think us calling it ectoplasm would be fine but i feel like if a character in the world said ectoplasm i would like raise an eyebrow you know <laughs> mm -hmm. now that being said i don't have a better suggestion <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we have weird spirit stuff in cora um the spirit vines mm -hmm. i was thinking what about moss moss almost like a like it you know just grows in corners it glows a little green the spirit moss spirit moss that'd be kind of cool because it grows but is moss a fung but moss is a plant not a fungus right it's uh, i don't want to get into <laughs> the phylogeny of moss <laughs> this is not a biology podcast man <laughs> moss is weird it doesn't fit quite any place exactly um, moss is weird so spirit moss could just be weird spirit moss is weird what if the spirit moss once it's gathered like
like people gather it, they put it in a container, and after a day or two, it sort of like melts down into like a gelatinous a, a goo. But they still just call it spirit moss because that's how it starts. I like it. It's like a green tea esque substance. Stop. <laughs> it's not <laughs> tea. No, I think that's cool. Spirit moss. I like that. Yeah, I would drink spirit moss. <laughs> you might in the campaign. Yeah, we'll see what happens when you do that. Oh yeah, that's the stuff. All right. Uh, another thing that's going on with the spiritual activity is uh, in Bossing Say, people aren't seeing just typical spirits. And when I say typical spirits, I go in this with the acknowledgement that, like, your typical spirit is a rabbit with dragonfly wings for ears. You know, something weird like that. Um, so that is a typical spirit. But aside from that, like, you don't often see in the Avatar verse the spirit of a deceased person, for example, like a regular human who lived in Bossing Say and then passed away. But now people are seeing the ghosts of just regular humans showing up. Ooh. Oh, shoot. For real? For real. Oh, no. That's interesting. That's messing with the reincarnation cycle. I dig it. That is not good for us. Yeah, something, something big and weird is going on. What is that thing? You guys are just going to have to find out. <laughs> uh, but that is the state of Bossing Say as we currently find it in Blades in the Daofe. Jeez. Yeah, another little uh, warning for our listeners. Uh, I think we've probably mentioned this before, but the Kyoshi era is pretty gritty compared <laughs> to the rest of the Avatar canon. It's like the only part of Avatar lore where we see explicit character death happening like on screen, essentially. On page, technically speaking. It, but... is, it is not gentle either. <laughs> I won't go into details in case you want to read the books, but like, holy cow. The, the most tame death is poisoning. <laughs> yeah, mass poisoning. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, <laughs> well, actually, that is that is going to come up at some point later on because it's... It's pretty relevant. It's intrinsic to some character backstories here, yeah. But we, we are still, you know, we like being a podcast that everybody can listen to. We generally try to keep a TV 10 sort of rating. So we'll try and stick with that, uh, not get too graphic. I know I know Evan's already thinking of crazy ways that he can kill people with bending. Because that's, <laughs> that's one of my favorite pastimes. I think, I think you could make a really gritty, like, uh, Goodfellas or Scarface type movie oh, in the Avatar universe. Ooh, boy. <laughs> but speaking of our characters, we're going to go through and introduce you to these guys and a little bit of how characters work in Blades in the Dark. So let's go kind of down our list of introduction and let's start with Christian's character. Absolutely. Um, to start off, I will just say the character's name. Uh, my character's name is Tonin Yoru. Tonin Yoru. Similar to Avatar Legends, it's broke up into playbooks. So the playbook I am playing is the slide. The description is a subtle manipulator and spy. Yeah. The way that you really get a sense for what a certain playbook does is they've got these special abilities that lean into their role, but also the way that you gain XP is similar to Avatar Legends in that like at the end of each session you ask these questions. And for each unique playbook, there is a specific motive. Like if you succeeded in that goal, you're going to gain XP. And for the slide, the question is, did you address a challenge with deception or influence? So that is the big MO for the slide. Yeah, we were actually talking a little bit about how my, my character doesn't work unless they are seen. They need to be deceptive and talk and influence people because if I just sneak around, I'm not going to be at my most effective. Mm-hmm. 
what do we want to hit as far as introductions? Yeah, uh, I guess let's just go through the character creation summary and talk about the different aspects there. Uh, character creation is very straightforward in Blades in the Dark. You take the playbook that they've already given you beforehand and you fill in all the details from there and boom, you got a really compelling, interesting character. So your playbook is the slide. Next is your heritage. This is where your ancestry comes from, essentially. We've changed this up from Blades in the Dark as well from all those different continents to specific areas within the Avatarverse. So where is Tonin from? Uh, as far as the region, it's the Taku region, which I'm excited to explore Yeah, <laughs> after you mentioned it. Yeah, if you've heard our finale talkback for 10,000 Things, we talked about Taku, this amazing economic city on the west coast of the Earth Kingdom that is not explored very much in the canon of Avatar. A really cool place. And so I've broken up the Earth Kingdom into a few major regions. Like you've got the Foggy Swamp, you've got the Desert, but then you've got based on like the major cities, there's a Bossing Sei region, the Omasha region, and the Taku region. And so, yeah, you are from kind of the Western side of the continent. Yep. And my background, my family, I come from a family, uh, a break-off sect of the Earth Sages. Mm -hmm. I am very different than my last character, but I am still kind of a monk. <laughs> that is really good to know for my character. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> kind of a monk. I mean, very loosely. The... If I remember correctly, during this time, the Earth Sages are going through some stuff. Yeah, we talked about how that mass poisoning was going to become germane pretty soon here. So here is like our first major, major spoiler for the Kyoshi novels. At the end of the first book, a certain character, basically a whole bunch of Earth Sages have come together, meeting at his home, and they're basically going to tear him apart politically. And what does he do? He poisons every single one of them with tea. I'm trying to remember exactly like what percentage of the Earth Sages were there. I'm not sure if they mentioned a specific number, but there is an immense power vacuum in the Earth Kingdom at the moment because all the Sages got poisoned. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of the impetus of my character. I'm of this break-off sect that's kind of always been small. One of the reasons we weren't invited to this big conclave. But now that there's this vacuum, I'm hoping we can rise up because mm -hmm. I'm not throwing away my shot. Oh my gosh. Of course. <laughs> All right. So that's your heritage and your background. You're from Taku region and your background is in law. Next, uh, we'll talk a little bit about actions. This is a little bit different from Avatar Legends and a bit more like something akin to Dungeons and Dragons in that you have specific actions, specific skills that you are well versed in. Uh, we don't need to get too much into the gritty of how that works right now, but uh, what are some of your top skills that are going to kind of define who your character is? For sure. Um, my focus is definitely going to be in the two skills of consort and sway. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I need to talk. I need to be seen for my character to work. I'm all about disguising myself, manipulating other people, spying. I need to be in the action without... I guess I need to be seen, but not remembered or noticed mm -hmm. necessarily. Yeah. This is going to tie in quite well with your special ability that you chose also. I did. Um, we all get a few to choose from when we start, depending on our playbook. I chose cloak and dagger. When you use a disguise or other form of covert misdirection, I get plus one die to roll to confuse or deflect suspicion. When I throw off the disguise, the resulting surprise gives me the initiative in the situation so I can get the jump on people by surprising them. Yeah, and one of your items that you get specifically as the slide that none of the other playbooks get is a fine disguise kit. Mm-hmm. 
So you're going to be doing a good job of uh, pretending to be other people, essentially. That's the goal. Next, another thing that's really big in Blades in the Dark is the faction game. We want these characters to feel like they're very involved in the city. Like I said, it's kind of a pressure cooker where there's all of these different factions vying for supremacy. We're going to be like tracking our status with the different factions. How much do these people like you or dislike you? And so as part of this, everybody has the option to choose a couple different uh, contacts that we're going to start out with. You get to choose one who's your friend and one who's your rival. So these ones are, the way that they're written, they're kind of specific to Doskval, the city in Blades in the Dark. So we're going to change some names and some roles and whatnot. But Christian, who are Tonin's sly friends? Yeah, my ally um, is going to be Jin, a calligrapher. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's probably in one of the upper rings of society, the middle ring, possibly even the upper ring of bossing, say. Yes, definitely a good one, a good contact. And my enemy, I don't actually know the name of. Yes. So in uh, Blades in the Dark, it's a gang leader of sorts. You decided that you wanted it to be an Earth Sage because, you know, there's some rivalry there with your particular goals as a character. So the person that I'm going to specify this as is Neliao the Gardener. Um, so I talked a little bit about the faction game in Blades in the Dark. And so I've created a bunch of other factions that are going to exist in the city alongside of you. Um, we'll get a bit more into crew creation after we've explored all of our specific characters. But there are six different types of crews that you can be. There are shadows who are like spies and people who try to move in the darkness. There are bravos who are like armed thugs, people who do extortion and go and break people's knees and whatnot. And I've created two different gangs for each of those crew types. And one of those is the gardeners. They are led by Nellie the gardener. And a little bit of history here, this character is specifically mentioned in the first chapter of the Kyoshi novels. This is a person who tried to locate the Avatar. Uh, each of the four nations has their own method for trying to figure out who the Avatar is. Like we see in the original Last Airbender series when they're telling Aang that he's the Avatar, they show him all of these toys. That's how the Air Nomads do it. They present all the children with these toys that were owned by Avatars previously. And if they choose the right toys, that's the sign that it's the Avatar. The Earth Kingdom, they like essentially roll these runes, these like magical stones that help them to like break down which portion of the Earth Kingdom the Avatar is supposed to be in. One of the first people who tried that was an Earth Sage by the name of Neliao the Gardener who failed. This was like one of the first major failures. It kept failing uh, over and over <laughs> and over again, which is a major point of tension in the books. But Neliao took it particularly hard and went into exile after she failed. And now that all of the Earth Sages have been poisoned, or at least most of the Earth Sages have been poisoned, she's like convincing people that her early exile was a sign that she was supposed to survive because otherwise she would have been at that meeting, she would have gotten poisoned. So her whole shtick is, this is a sign from the spirits that I'm supposed to lead the new generation of Earth Sages and has built up a cult. That is the crew type of the gardeners. Uh, and they are trying to gain control of as many new appointed earth sages as possible oh boy so that's your rival 
Well, I'll show her the spirits. Mm-hmm. Why I oughta. <laughs> is, that, is that your character voice? That is not my character's voice. No. <laughs> it's Popeye. I love it. All right. And now the next thing we're going to talk about is your vice. Uh, this is another part of the things that leans into kind of the grittiness of the Kyoshi era. The way that you decrease the stress that you take after a difficult job is you have to indulge in your vice to cool down a little bit. And what is the vice that you have chosen? Of the options, I chose obligation. Uh, It's sort of tied to my monastic tradition. I need to spend time studying people and drawing them. It really helps with my disguises as well. Um, I can use these drawings and, you know, studying how people walk, how people talk, how they move. It helps me in my disguises and my spy work. Mm -hmm. And when you hear the term vice initially, you're probably thinking something like, oh, you know, drinking or gambling. And those are definitely among the vices that you can choose from. But in mechanical terms, a vice is essentially something that you need to attend to outside of your criminal life, something that you are compelled towards. And having an obligation is one of those things. Then the final stuff is mostly just uh, particular character details. We've already talked about what your name is, but we also specifically on the playbook are going to write down an alias and a look. So what is Tonin's alias? So this one, uh, when we were playing, was a little tricky to figure out, but I, th- I think I got it. Amongst the crews, I guess, in the other Daofei, I'm known as The Face. But if, you know, we're going to a gala or something and I need to obfuscate who I am, I go by the name Lao Kai. Yeah, I think this is a good way to do aliases, is having your underworld alias... Uh, you know, in the uh, Fight Club episode, you met Throat Cutter Gong, for example. That's his kind of underground alias. But if you're going into a fancy party and, like, your character needs to be seen, you don't want to walk up to people and say, Hello, my name is Throat Cutter Gong. How are you today? <laughs> so having, like, an actual real person alias name, I think, is also very wise. Then uh, your look, maybe a little bit of what your character is like. What would somebody see? Well, it's a little tricky because my whole thing is deception and disguises. So they see whatever I want them to see. Um, but in general, when I'm amongst the crew and those I trust, I actually, I, I always wear a mask when I'm around people that I trust. Uh, it's just a like, pretty simple porcelain white mask. Um, it is porcelain because, if I remember correctly, porcelain can do that thing where it doesn't need straps. It can just sit on your face. Interesting. If it is formed perfectly to your face, it'll just kind of hold on. Is that for real? That's awesome. I think that's for real. Like, if you have a really well-made porcelain mask, it will stick to your face. Someone Google that and tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, holy cow. <laughs> that's I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, we'll fact check this on our own time. But, uh, yeah, always wearing a mask amongst your crew. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, when I'm out and about, I'm always wearing some sort of disguise as practice or something Um, but amongst the crew I wear a white mask it's got red lips um, with sort of like black markings around the eyes so you are just you are just Amon (laughs) (laughs) we're partnered with Amon Um, but yeah, that, that's the look. And definitely, like, clothing is non very much trying to be nondescript. I don't look like a monk. Um, I'm, my, my sect is definitely more secretive. Right on. Well, let's uh, go over to Evan's character then. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so my name is Siwei Leng. I am from Omashu originally. Grew up sort of in poverty on the streets. Family didn't have any money. 
Uh, about as soon as I could, I got a job working in some warehouses, moving crates around, the avatar equivalent of working at an Amazon factory, um, <laughs> sending crates off to Bossing Say and whatnot. Until, uh, you know, a few years ago, I finally saved up enough coin to move me and my family to Bossing Say, where I've been trying to sort of make a living for myself there. Still not having much luck with the coin, and so there's one world of jobs where coin is abundant, and that's the criminal world. Indeed. And so you have taken on a criminal role. What is the playbook that you've chosen for Seaway? Right. So this playbook is called a cutter. They are a dangerous and intimidating fighter. They are sort of equivalent to maybe if you're familiar with D&D, kind of a barbarian-esque type playbook. One of their permanent items that they always have with them is called, uh, in the original Blades in the Dark terms, a rage essence vial. Jeez. Uh, something you can drink and go into sort of of a rage so um yeah so very much a physical specimen intimidation violence all that fun stuff yeah the cutter gains xp when they address challenges with violence or coercion mm-hmm. very cool so we're gonna talk about um which crew book we chose here in a minute but uh i will say the cutter is a little uh, at first it seems a little antithetical so it'll be a fun there will be some fun challenges to see how he fits in with our crew and with that in mind what are some of the skills that you're really going to be leaning into so i'm leaning into all of these skills under the prowess heading that's finesse prowl skirmish and wreck basically like i mentioned all the physical he uh, is a physical specimen they've got a little bit of commanding and swaying swaying because you know he's been on the streets a while he's had to do a lot of negotiating command because he's terrifying (laughs) (laughs) and your best skill currently is skirmish so you're gonna be doing a lot of fighting it seems yep getting into fisticuffs a little bit now let's look at your dangerous friends who is your ally? Right. Uh, do we need to rename my ally, Ned? Honestly, I think the names as they are are pretty great. I, I kind of thought they worked all right. Okay, so my ally is a physiker or, you know, a physician doctor named Sawtooth. Yes. <laughs> Sawtooth? Sawtooth. That is great. Holy cow. <laughs> I imagine with a name like that, you're really only working with like Daofei gangs. Not exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be hearing a lot of these kinds of names. Like I've put together a list of NPC names that I can pull up on the fly. Just a lot of like cool underground sort of nicknames. Now, speaking of this being a person who probably only works with the Dao Fei, I figure that Sawtooth probably works for the Apothecarial Society. They are a crew of assassins. They're led by a mysterious individual who is a master poisoner and has a lot of knowledge of like how to mix together different components and whatnot. So yes, they're assassins, and if you get on their bad side, that's no good for you, but they are also <laughs> like master herbalists and whatnot. They can make great poisons, but they can also make really good stuff to heal you up, and especially now that the spirit moss is becoming more prevalent, they can make stuff like rage essence, for example. Nice. Gets me my hookups. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, who is your who is your rival 
My rival is a cold killer named Mercy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who I figure will probably be involved with the fanged mercenaries. That's the other crew of assassins. I'm glad we decided uh, we already explained aliases because I can guarantee you those are both aliases of fellow criminals. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the idea that someone had a little baby and they were like, oh, you know what? Let's give him the family name. He'll be Sawtooth. <laughs> <laughs> a name that goes back generations. I thought you were going to laugh at someone naming their child Mercy and then that child just growing up to be a killer. <laughs> We've had killers named Mercy in our family since we lived on top of the lion turtles. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your vice, Seaway? My vice is a bit of a, a secret that hopefully it will come out in time. But Ooh. for now, I just, you know, after some of our jobs, I just got, I got stuff I need to do. Mm-hmm. He's got a pile of puppies he has to cuddle every day or he just <laughs> loses it. Yeah, I know. We're not really discussing in depth, but yes, my short-term goal here is to uh, open a pet store. Pet store slash spirit dealer. (laughs) The the spirit dealer is probably the underground aspect, and the pet store is probably the more legitimate business front, come to think of it. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of this whole pet store idea, uh, this isn't going to show up on your playbook anywhere, but tell us about uh, this little pet situation you got going on. Oh, right, yeah. Um, So I do have a, a pet because I am passionate about opening this pet store right it's not on the playbook it's not a he doesn't have many advantages other than being adorable he is a hedgehog wolf or maybe i should say wolf hedgehog if the order matters because he is the size of a hedgehog (laughs) and quite spiky but with a sort of dog-like face and uh, demeanor and uh his name is spike and he's my friend. He's my little pet that I take everywhere with me. To the point. I love it. Yeah, I do actually really like the idea of there being a specific difference between hedgehog wolves and wolf hedgehogs. So like Spike <laughs> is this little hedgehog-sized spiky wolf guy that hangs out with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're also potentially breeding hedgehog wolves, which are terrifying giant wolves <laughs> with porcupine quills all over them <laughs> that you're going to be like uh, dealing out to the other gangs as watchdogs and that kind of stuff. It'll help me know which places not to hit. Mm-hmm. Or you know how to you know how to train them so you can get by them. Oh, that's true too. My favorite thing about this is the reason we came up with hedgehog wolves is we just had like a random animal combination generator and that was the first thing that came up and we were like, that's actually kind of perfect. I love it. <laughs> I think it's such a cute idea. Plus, it's like a staple of any Avatar story that there's a pet. It's true. They need the animal companion. Yeah, we had Marmar in the last one. He didn't really actually do anything of consequence. <laughs> so. What are you talking about? About. Except be adorable. Come on. We'll, we'll see if Spike does anything. <laughs> Those finger guns were game changing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then uh, last thing for Seaway is uh, what's your alias and a bit of your look? Yeah, so look-wise, I uh, look like Poe from Mulan a little bit, if you need a little bit of a base to start with. Yeah, Chien Po. I sort of described him as a marshmallowy man with a big smile, just very kind of happy-go-lucky looker to him. And yeah, a little heftier, usually wears very basic robes because, you know, not a lot of money to afford more ornate clothing. And then my aliases, um, you'll see here in a second, there's apparently some sort of face theme going along with my teammates. I did not get the memo, so (laughs) my nickname to go along with Spike is The Wolf. Oh, nice. And also with the animals that I will be dealing out. But if I need a more legitimate name, I tell people my name is Willow Song. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. 
and I guess just any other things you feel like we need to know about Seaway before we move on. I probably should have extended that question to Christian as well about Tony. <laughs> Christian, is there anything you need to? Um, not particularly. I feel like everything else is a little bit in the sneaky sneak realm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, did we? We did not go over my special ability. That's correct. What did you choose? I chose one named not to be trifled with, which means I can push myself, which is a game mechanic we will explore further later, um, to do one of the following, either perform a feat of physical force that verges on the superhuman, or engage a small gang on equal footing in close combat. And I think that verges on the superhuman, I'm wondering, I'm kind of playing around with the idea of Maybe he is very slightly, but since he's never had a chance to explore it, like a little bit of an earthbender. Interesting. And in moments of need, these things happen that he like can't fully control or really know what's going on. Yeah, that's actually uh, in the Kyoshi novels. She starts out it's like, yeah, we know she's an earthbender, but she can't really control it. She doesn't have a lot of finesse. She can only move like massive boulders in a moment of stress but she doesn't have a lot of fine motor control. So that actually kind of fits in pretty well with the Kiyoshi theme. Perfect. I guess I should note, um, Tonin is not a bender. Mm-hmm. No bending. Your original plan, I think, I was not a bender either, but I kind of like that idea to fit in with that verging on the superhuman. Yeah, maybe it's something you grow into. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, that is Seaway. All right. Uh, speaking of not a bender, Thomas, would you like to introduce your character? <laughs> Hello, it's me, not a bender. Uh, <laughs> my character is Hu Wei Young, a noble from Ba Sing Se, and for my playbook, I chose the spider, a devious mastermind. Mm-hmm. The spider gains XP when you address a challenge with calculation or conspiracy. Yeah, so ideally, my guy, he's not going to be getting into the thick of it too much. He's going to be pulling strings behind the scenes, getting like the, the pre-info you need, that kind of stuff. But I mean, if he needs to get into the thick of it, he's ready for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is your heritage and your background? So uh, I am the oldest son of a minor noble family from Ba Sing Se. As a result of that, a lot of my duties growing up entailed handling like the, the household administration, financial administration um, for the, the family estate, things like that. Um, I didn't work in a warehouse or anything. I, I was a rich kid. I was from a noble family. So <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Indeed. Now, the skills that you're going to be leaning into, you have not necessarily explored a very wide breadth of skills, but you've got a few that are going to be pretty powerful. Yeah, I did not get a widespread. I, I've uh, min-maxed somewhat. Uh, <laughs> for my guy, where he's doing a lot of, you know, behind-the-scenes work, he's, you know, pulling strings, things like that, um, I opted to go for three main skills. Uh, study, which lets me kind of, like, focus on somebody and see, like, the little intricate details of what they're doing. Um, survey kind of keeps me aware of the room, what I should know, what I shouldn't know, things like that, and consort so that I can help kind of convince people um, in like a friendly way. It's not, I'm not like trying to get them to like lie to them, get them to do what I want, but I can do that too because I've got one little tick and sway. <laughs> <laughs> and then your special ability, this is going to be uh, one that's not actually in the spider playbook. Yeah, so Blades in the Dark is awesome. If you really like customizing your character, Blades in the Dark is phenomenal. Uh, right out the gate, when you build your character, you can pick a special ability. It does not, strictly speaking, have to be from your playbook. So for mine, I actually took one from the slide playbook. It's called, like, looking into a mirror. I can always tell when someone is lying to me. Of course you chose that one. Yeah, I gotta make your life harder. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> 
yeah, that's I for reasons that will probably become apparent. That is, it had to be the first one I picked. There's also um, there's kind of a running thing I feel like in our personal games where uh, Thomas just really likes to out people's secrets, get through their like twice now we've had characters in D and D campaigns who are trying to be a little like secretly evil on the side, and he is always the one who just hones in and starts <laughs> badgering them during downtime. What, what were you off doing? Blah, blah, blah. You guys are terrible. And so I, I think You're terrible. I, keeping secrets it's not my fault like holy cow he's, he's trying to get through our secrets as his fellow players too i think a little bit you're sneaking around like oh twirling your mustache and you're quick not to notice it now I, one thing that i will say about this ability like i want to be able to have some cunning and deception on my side and whatnot and it would be kind of lame for me to be like, ah, yes, the gang leader turns to you and says, I swear, I did not kill that man. He killed that man. You can tell he <laughs> killed that man. Um, so I will say, like, this is an ability that whenever you want to, you can be like, Ned, is this person lying to me? I won't necessarily be forthcoming with the fact that they're lying to you, but essentially, whenever you want to make an insight check, you will automatically succeed that insight check. Well, something I was thinking about with it, too, because um, I, I like to have these abilities, so if I really need to know something, I can. But given my position as like a noble, right? I, even if I know someone is lying to me, I can't just be like, you're lying to me. I don't like that. Because mm -hmm. a lot of noble talking or underground dealings, that kind of stuff, it, it requires a layer of uh, subtlety, um, discretion, things like that. So even if I know that someone is lying to me, in the moment, I doubt that's gonna change the outcome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely like a really good special ability. <laughs> so let's talk about your shrewd friends. Oh yeah, all right. My ally is uh, Jenna. She is a servant in one of the higher up households. I, it doesn't actually specify, but I'm rolling with that. Yeah, I like that idea. You are, like you said, you're part of a minor noble family, but you have higher aspirations. So maybe you've made friends with, like you've gotten in with one of the really high up noble families. Yeah. Yeah, and that way I can kind of keep tabs on what's happening with, you know, the people in the upper ring, that kind of deal. Because uh, I imagine I'm from, like, the middle ring, where I'm a minor noble, but, like, I'm not that cool. But yeah, that's that's my homie, uh, Jenna the Servant, and my rival, that dirtbag, Riven. He's a chemist. Um, I don't know anything else about him, but I know he sucks, and I don't like him. Yeah, what I'm trying to decide here is, like, you guys, you're already on pretty good standing with the Apothecarial Society, you know, with your alliance with Sawtooth. That seems like it would be the most likely place for a chemist to be, is also in the Apothecarial Society. So, I don't know, what do you think? Do we want to have, like, a schism, a, a division of opinion towards your crew within the same faction? Is there only one Apothecary crew? Uh, currently, yes, but there is uh, the option, like, any of you, if you want to create another faction, you may do so, I will say. So, what I'm hearing, since Sawtooth is part of the Apothecary crew, is that you want to hard-code into this game a reason for Evan and I to not not be on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> For those at home who don't know, there's a there's a running joke amongst our the various D&D games we've played where Evan and I's characters just don't like each other. I'm not even sure if it's a running joke. It's just a yeah, fact of life. We just don't like each other. Um, I was thinking, you know, a chemist a chemist could be useful in a lot of different stuff. Uh, specifically, if there's like a shadow crew or something, a chemist would be able to make like sleep essence or something, right? Something to knock out the enemies. So... It may be good to have a guy on hand. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think I like the idea. One of the shadow crews is called the Catacombers. 
they are centered in the crystal catacombs beneath Bossing Say that have been closed off largely. Mm-hmm. So I think like if we're talking about shadows who are like super, super underground, they need to be able to make shadow essence. So I think it makes sense. Yeah. We'll put Riven the Chemist in the catacombers. Cool. Hate those guys. <laughs> and then we get to your vice. Okay. So uh, my vice, I straight up stole from Avatar. If you remember <laughs> watching the fortune teller. Oh, spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. If you haven't watched it yet. In the fortune teller episode, I think in the first season, it's all about how everyone in this village they do whatever Aunt Wu says because she can see the future. That's our jam. We like that stuff. I, too, need to have my fortune told regularly uh, because I have to keep an edge on my enemies. Like, I'm not superstitious, but she's like my fortune teller. Her name is Wei Lai. Very cool. She has been right almost every time she's given me tips. So, like, I get my fortune told constantly. Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep a leg up on your political rivals, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, one just fun little tidbit. Uh, when you're choosing your vice, you start with kind of a broader category, and then you hone in on what it is. So you do have categories like pleasure or gambling or stupor or whatever the case may be. And there's a category that's straight up just called weird. And <laughs> that's where uh, getting your fortune constantly told falls, apparently. I gambled with making the fortune teller like someone who works in a temple who just like communes with the spirits and like, yes, you need to take this path in life. And then taking like the faith angle, right? But I'm weird, so I picked weird. <laughs> nice. And then last thing for who would be your alias and your look. Uh, so my alias, I chose it specifically because of Christian's character. My alias is Faceless, um, <laughs> as opposed to our esteemed The Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason, there is a reason for that, right? I, I wear a full mask whenever I go and do underground stuff because I cannot risk my real like identity getting out. Being a member of a minor noble family, it'd bring great shame and all that jazz. Batman. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. And I mean, like, it's a full, there's there's nothing. You cannot see any identifying feature on my on my head. So I'm faceless. And uh, I don't have a second one for, like, going out in public because I already have a public persona. It's me. Mm-hmm. So Hu Wei Young is, I guess, my other alias. Yeah, it's, so you guys were all coming up with your characters individually. And then Christian and Thomas both come to me. One's like, I always wear a mask in private, but never in public. And the other one's like, I always wear a mask in public, but never in private. <laughs> and then there's me. Yeah. I have a hedgehog wolf. Wolf hedgehog. There's an important distinction. Yeah. Wolf hedgehog. Come I on, man. those two mixed up for some reason. Maybe I'll make myself like a wolf mask for when we do our jobs. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, I actually have had a thought. So now that we've talked about all of our individual characters, it's time to start talking about the crew. And you've probably already heard uh, crews are supposed to have like cool underground sort of names. And that starts like in the Kyoshi novels. You've got these Daofei gangs like the Flying Opera Society and the Yellownecks and the Fade Red Devils and that kind of stuff. And so we're going to need to come up with a cool name for our crew. First of all, though, what kind of crew have we selected? I don't know if we've like actually settled on one yet. I think we have a way we're leaning. But I asked if we were doing shadows and that's where everyone said. So, I mean, hey, as a cutter, I'd be more than happy to be Bravos, but <laughs> um, maybe I should for our listeners kind of give a little rundown of what the different crew types are. Uh, we've already mentioned most of these. We've got assassins. They kill people. We've got Bravos. They're mercenaries and thugs. We've got cults. They do weird spirit culty forgotten God stuff. We've got hawkers. They deal in vices. 
We've got shadows. These are the thieves and the spies. And we've got smugglers. They transport contraband and whatnot. Honestly, the smugglers might be really fun for us. Um, where the city's on lockdown, like, we could be the people who are getting things in and out of Bossing Say. That is true. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind with your crew type is it's not going to proscribe you from doing other types of jobs. Like, if you choose to be smugglers, you're not just going to be smuggling. Like, you can still do other jobs. Like, you can do a shadow-style job where you're sneaking into a place unseen. You can do a hawking job where you're trying to sell the wares that you're smuggling, uh, but it does kind of determine how you gain XP for this crew. So if we're looking at smugglers, for example, they gain XP by completing a successful smuggling operation or acquiring new clients or contraband sources. I'll say this, um, this game is very thoughtfully designed. Any playbook can be part of any crew, but if I become necessary in a crew of shadows, something has gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stealth game until it's not. <laughs> well, I'm, you say that, but Blades in the Dark is kind of designed for things to always kind of go wrong. Like, that you have a, a one out of six chance for things to work out, and then every other one has something going wrong. Well, we can talk about the math of the system at another point. <laughs> if I'd, you roll one dice, that's true. I'd be, I'd be fine with really any of these. I think Colt probably doesn't fit us, obviously, but... We worship uh, the moss <laughs> assassins bravo smugglers or shadows all sound like possibilities so i don't know what you guys are leaning towards I kind shadow of, i was just gonna say shadows almost feels like cliche almost i can see that and, and bravos to me feels almost like we could do a bit of anything because that one you level up or you get experience points uh after a successful battle extortion sabotage or smash and grab so with our more talkers, extortion is easy. Um, obviously, someone's <laughs> excited about the smash and grab in the battle. <laughs> Let me just rearrange my points and put more in direct. <laughs> you know, let, let's talk at this point actually about some of our ambitions that we have within the crew, because maybe that'll help us hone in on a specific crew type. So let's start with Thomas, because you had already brought up a little bit of like, you have some pretty lofty goals that you're working towards. So I like to dream big. I'm a minor noble. I'm tired of not being top of the pile. I want to become the king of the Earth Kingdom. The Earth King, if you will. <laughs> yes. That is explicitly my long-term goal in this campaign. So things are going to have to go south for the Earth King. Documents will need to be forged. Uh, things like that. Um, One thing I will say about the canon, the Earth King at this point is so unpopular that he doesn't even have a canonical name. Whoa! Like, he's just called the 46th Earth King. Oh, oh my goodness. Like, so the time is ripe. You go onto the Avatar wiki, it just says the 46th Earth King. So, <laughs> you know, surely we can come up with a name for this guy, but canonically, he's not a very popular guy. His name? Can I name him right now? Is that okay? Is this going to be... It won't be offensive, I promise. This isn't going to be like a Pokemon video game situation where it's like, here's your rival what's his name his name is butthead his name is but no i was gonna name him dennis the menace um, <laughs> no I, I, I won't name him i've got terrible naming ability i stole my name from my character um All right, i'll come up with something greg anyway yeah uh i want to be the earth king i want to depose kill whatever the earth king and take his throne <laughs> <laughs> my goal is i would say just about as lofty um my long-term goal is to basically become the head like patriarch of the earth sages kind of like the pope mm -hmm. if we were to go real world analogous and also the connection in the avatar verse 
Uh, in the Kyoshi novels, the guy who poisoned all the other sages, his name is Janju. He, at the point we meet him in the Kyoshi novels, is basically the puppet master of the Earth Kingdom. Like, sure, we have the Earth King who's actually running the scene from the throne, but Janju is the one who has all of the political power. And he is an Earth Sage. So essentially, that's kind of the position you're gunning for. And so we've got the guy who wants to lead the Earth Sages and the guy who wants to become the Earth King. And they have teamed up with a uh, dock worker who sells fancy docks. That's me. The funny thing is, they both have very, very lofty goals that they're saying out loud. And my goal is not nearly as lofty, but I almost want to keep it a secret. Is that okay? I think that's a great idea. Uh, I swear. I'll give you the hint that it is not nearly as lofty. But I have an idea for a long-term goal, and I'm going to keep it a secret for now. I do not trust you. We're all scoundrels. You want to be the Earth King, and I need to take you out. No, he wants to be the head general. Oh, that'd be cool. So with these goals in mind, political upheaval, what crew type do we feel like is going to most serve that goal? I mean, probably shadows. <laughs> if we're if we're trying to depose a king and earth sage and uh, the pet market, then we gotta be kind of sneaky. Pet mar- subtle. Pet markets could be hawkers or smugglers. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, fair enough. All right, I think we want to just, you know what, leave it to fate. Should we roll a dice? I think that's a fun idea. See if we're smugglers or shadows. Oh, okay. Put Make it a three-sided die. Make it a, a we'll do a six-sided die because my vote is for the Bravos. I think I was leaning in Bravos, but that's just, I'm a cutter. So I think Thomas is nervous because he's a minor noble. Well, look, <laughs> I can, no, I can, every person has a role in a group. I, I would love to join your Bravos. All right. I mean, you'll be wearing a mask. Yeah, I wear a mask when I'm doing, if I have to get down and dirty, I'm wearing a mask. So like, I have plausible deniability. If we were being Bravos, I would recommend not having a porcelain mask. Oh, mine's, <laughs> mine's more sensible. It's fabric. <laughs> a fabric yeah, mask. Yeah, it's just like a whole okay. head mask. Can't even see my hair. Like a burlap sack? Oh, like a burlap sack, sack on my head? No, I'm a noble. I think I can get a mask made. Come on. I'm picturing the scarecrow from Batman. Jeez. <laughs> so we're all going different directions. I got it, right? I'm, I'm going to hire my butler, who is an earthbender, to just mold a rock around my head. Completely cover it. <laughs> that way with the air holes. Yeah, little, little two little breathing holes right here. That would be actually terrifying in a cool way. Maybe your alias should be the boulder. The boulder. The boulder is no longer conflicted. <laughs> um, if we're the Bravos, that doesn't mean, like, say your job is to rough up an important person. You still sneak into their, you know, compound, sneak into their room, beat the crap out of them and tell them you didn't see us. And then <laughs> Yeah, because we still want to keep our heat low. And like Christian brought up, XP triggers are sure battles, sure smash and grabs, but also extortion and sabotage. Yeah, and I mean, the way I intend to play the character, at least, it's it's going to be mostly behind the scenes stuff. So I shouldn't even be there when you guys are wrecking things unless you really need me there. That's going to make things very exciting for you whenever we go into a job. It's fine. We, I'll, we, I'll have my stone mask. I'll be all right. We'll need you. Yeah, yeah. You'll be there. It's, I'll be there. I, realistically, I'll be there. But Yeah, not only just logistically do your teammates need you there, but narratively, I, I kind of need you to be there. On the I, was, no, I was lying. It was a trick. I improv you. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I will be there every time. <laughs> Get tabletops. You've been improv oh, oh, boy. 
All right, so we're going to be Bravos in actually a very surprising turn of events for me. <laughs> we've been talking about this game for a while now, and we've been planning on Shadows pretty much since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Get improv That's our new catchphrase. Get improv <laughs> All right, now for the name, we got to have a cool name for our group here. The thing that I'm just going to throw out there as a possibility in one of the Avatar comic books that takes place after the original series, the Smoke and Shadow comics, there is reference to a group of spirits known as the Kamurikage, masked spirits who torment Fire Nation nobles. So wait, the spirits specifically torment Fire Nation nobles? Uh, specifically, that's like, they originate in Fire Nation legend, but like the idea behind them is they wear masks, they show up out of nowhere, wreck stuff, and then disappear. Well, now we have to be assassins and we can be the Kamurakage killers. <laughs> wow. Alliteration is the most important thing. That's the most important <laughs> part of any group name. So that's just an idea I'm going to throw out there. It's like just since we've got the mask thing going on already. I kind of like that. Kamurakage. Kamurakage. Oh, I should mention, though, that the Kamurakage are canonically the spirits of grieving mothers. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I assume we're all playing men, right? The ultimate <laughs> deniability. We're not even grieving mothers. Well, that can't be us. We're not mothers. I'm definitely not grieving. You're just really just throwing the scent off. You must be thinking of a different crew. Because I like the masked spirits idea. Yeah, I will definitely. Uh, if we're all doing masks, I'll, I'm down to wear a, a wooden wolf mask. I could just keep it simple. I mean, the masked spirits. The masked spirits and the face, the faceless and the wolf. I mean, I, th I think that sounds good. The, the masked spirits. I'm good with it. I dig it. Let's do it. All right. It is consist. Consist. It is chosen. <laughs> yes. A consensus has been reached. That's the what I was trying to say. <laughs> Yo, this is FutureNet here with just a little heads up about the remainder of the episode. So as we work together to continue to fill out the crew sheet, we're going to be talking about a lot of game mechanics that can be a little confusing out of context, unfortunately. Uh, if you're okay with learning about the mechanics of the new game, then by all means keep on listening. But if you're here mostly just for like the story, getting to know the characters and their goals and whatnot, you've already got pretty much all of the story already. So this could be your jumping off point if you want to. There will be some story aspects that we'll discuss later on in the episode, but nothing you wouldn't be able to pick up through context clues. But, uh, you know, the choice is yours. Whether you want to hear about mechanics or just wait until next week when we get into the actual adventure, the choice is up to you. But now, on with the show. All right, so we are the Masked Spirits, a team of bravos. We begin at tier zero with Stronghold and zero rep and two coin. We will explain what all of that means later. The, sh <laughs> the short of it is we have nothing to our name. We are the beginning. Yes, so next we're going to choose an initial reputation and a lair. A reputation is how the other underworld factions see us. The options here are ambitious, brutal, daring, honorable, professional, savvy, subtle, and strange. And after you complete a job, we're going to ask ourselves, did we live up to our reputation? And that's one of the ways that you gain XP. Guys, your goals, we're nobodies right now. We'll talk like technically Thomas I'm example, a like, little we're, bit we're, higher but, than a nobody. But, thank like, you. We're a <laughs> our crew are like, we're a tiny crew. We're just starting out. We're ambitious, right? Like everything. That's, yeah, we are ambitious. <laughs> ambitious, I think, definitely fits the bill. Well, like many things in this game, a lot of it can be fluid. If things change in the future, can our reputation change as we start to grow? And maybe we don't have to, maybe we're not seen as ambitious anymore. Maybe people are like, oh, these guys are here. To, they're making an impact. Yeah, the XP trigger is specifically, did you bolster your crew's reputation or develop a new one? Okay. So there's that option moving forward. Cool. 
Now we choose a layer and we're gonna decide which district this is going to be in. So I've split Bossing Say up into a few different districts. We've got the upper ring is its own district. In the middle ring, we have a noble and a mercantile district, sort of residential versus economical. Then down in the lower ring of Bossing Say, we're going to have three different districts, which I still need to come up with specific names for them. Uh, I figure like one of them is going to be the Lung Cao district because that's kind of already something that we've dealt with a little bit in Fight Club. We've also talked about in 10,000 Things, a couple more districts there, and then maybe one or two districts out in the agrarian zone. So I guess first is, do you want, which ring do we want to be in? My first thought right off the bat was to help make uh, Hu Weiyang's life easier. If we are in the mercantile side of the middle ring, then it makes sense for him to be there, but it's not too close to home. Since that's the part of the city he generally lives in, it would, might be a good place to set up shop. Because you're from the middle ring, right? Yeah, I'm from the middle ring. And uh, specifically, I wrote this down into my backstory. I've handled financial administration for the household. So it would make sense for me to spend a lot of time in the mercantile district, you know, trying to make deals, blah, blah, blah. You're just going about your business. Yeah. Now, I don't know, I in the Avatar verse, right, I don't know, are lower ring people allowed in the middle ring? Like, is it a hard wall you can't cross or what's the deal? Uh, I'm trying to remember what the exact canon is, but I know in 10,000 Things we established that there needed to be at least some kind of clearance to get from ring to ring. So I think we'll probably stick with something like that. And plus, I think that's good because it would be untenable for us to be in the upper ring, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think especially since the entire city is under lockdown, I think it makes sense they would also be beefing up security between the rings. And But if we establish like our home bases in the middle ring, it establishes that we must have credentials to be able to go from middle to lower and lower to middle at least. So yeah. we've got a little bit more wiggle room than if we established our base in the lower ring. I mean, we'll still have to sneak into the upper ring to do some jobs, I'm sure, but it makes our, our life a little easier. Well, once I'm king, I'll give you guys a pass and you can just come into the upper ring when you want. I do think that this should be kind of, even if it's not your goal, Evan, the two of us might try and place you as the general of the army so we control the military, <laughs> the state, and the religion. We'll force you <laughs> everything deal you're like i just want my pets and we're like no you're in charge of the army now. <laughs> <laughs> you're in charge of the entire military <laughs> all right now we get to figure out what our specific layer is going to be oh yeah we can pick like the spot it's at now the first thing that comes to mind for me is seaway if you want to become like a reputable breeder we could have like the front of your lair be your pet breeding shop definitely like you're still working on getting all of the stuff actually set up but you can like have the location itself ready to go yeah that was going to be my uh short-term goal so maybe it's like currently an empty shop with like a coming soon sign on the door and we're just <laughs> the workers setting everything up yeah you've hired a graphic designer to make your logo <laughs> You've got your Instagram all set up and whatnot. Now you just got to actually start the business. Yep. I like that. If only you knew a guy who has money and a financial administration background. That's you. That's where you come in. <laughs> and the hookup in the middle ring. If only. Yeah. So do we want to come up with a fun name for this business? Like Lang's Hedgehog Wolves or something? Lang's Discount Pets. They got to go fast. <laughs> 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 I mean, can we actually do that? <laughs> oh, 
yes, we can. I, I don't want to make a joke out of your entire background, but... Uh... The tagline has to be, they gotta go fast. I look forward to the fan art. <laughs> Spike is not blue, for the record. Okay. My wolf hedgehog is not blue. So, is it Lang's Discount Pets? I guess. Okay. I will give you permission to change that if at any point you decide you want to. <laughs> right. It, it's not a fully open shop yet. So We're meeting with focus groups. <laughs> Next, we get to choose our hunting grounds. Uh, our hunting grounds is essentially the place that we feel like we're going to do the most of our jobs. I, I Like with the reputation, is that one that can change over time? Uh, I think we probably can do that. I think I kind of see where Thomas is coming from because I kind of feel like we're going to start out hitting lower ring spots. And as we grow in power as a faction, we're going to want to hit higher and higher uh, targets. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. So yeah, somewhere somewhere in the lower ring definitely just probably makes sense right off the bat. I was thinking we could start right out with the middle ring, start taking down some of the other nobles. Oof, you are ambitious. So that, that's pretty... I mean, I guess it makes sense with our crew. If we're, if we're ambitious, we shouldn't... Why start at the bottom? Cannot argue with that. Yeah. You live in the noble district in the middle ring. Our base is in the mercantile district, and our hunting grounds are the noble district. As you do, yeah. I think that's a good idea. And again, with your whole gathering information stuff, this will really help you get in on a good foot. And it's not like, I don't think we're going to be limited to just the middle ring. If we have a job that we can do in the lower ring, we should absolutely hit the lower ring too. Yeah. Or when we're growing our, our lair and we need to steal things, we go wherever. All right. So you are gaining your lair from somebody who already has it. And I do have a faction called the Bossing Say Kennel Club. They're a group of hawkers. Interesting. <laughs> two birds, one star, two... two... Two turtle ducks, one stone. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. So essentially what's going to happen here is if you pay them one coin, then you're just kind of on an even status. If you pay them two coin, you get plus one status with them. But if you pay nothing, you get minus one status with them. Do we start with money? You start with two coin. Two coin each or as a crew? Uh, just as a crew. Oh, we poor. We super poor. Yeah, coin is kind of an abstraction in Blades in the Dark. We have the assumption that for all of like your day-to-day -day petty cash needs, like you can go and buy a nice cup of tea at a tea house or something without digging into your coin stash. But coin specifically represents large assets. One coin is like a sizable pouch of silver. So that's kind of how we're going to be dealing with coin. Uh, and you can pay both of those coin right at the beginning to get plus one status with the Bossing Say Kennel Club or zero status or minus one status, your choice. Gotcha. And I see here uh, method as well after hunting grounds. I figured we would want to do sabotage. Yeah. So we'll choose the one that we feel like is the one that you most often want to engage in. And we can choose from battle, extortion, sabotage, or smash and grab, which again, anytime you execute any of these jobs successfully, you get to mark XP, but one of them is going to be kind of your forte, as it were. I think based on your guys' political ambitions, it would be really fun to be extortion experts. That's the tough part is either extortion or sabotage, because extortion, I feel like that does kind of lead back to a sabotage. If we're good about it, things are just falling apart around them and there's nothing they can do about it. And also you can maybe break things. Well, how, how <laughs> forthright do we want to be with our attempts to ruin people? Because that's kind of the difference between extortion and sabotage. Sabotage is a little more subtle, but extortion's like, you didn't pay your dues this month, bud. It'd be a shame if someone broke in here, you know? Yeah, it really just depends on how public you want to be. 
like as soon as the Earth King discovers that you're trying to take over from him, essentially, then that's going to be bad for you. Just throwing it out there. What's the worst that could happen? Um, Why would you even say that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I like extortion. I like extortion. I like sabotage. I think we'll probably end up just mixing it up as we go. But if we're going to do a big focus, I, I like extortion. Okay, I'm good with going into extortion then. All right. You guys want to take the risk. Uh, this is all about risk, baby. Well, that's what we got you for. You're the, the muscle. Um, I make sure people don't talk. After we extort them. All right. <laughs> now, we need to make the decision. How much coin do we want to pay to the Bossing Say Kennel Club? So is this something we pay once? Yes, right here at the beginning. Okay, sorry, I misunderstood that. That way we can get our start in this area, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, I think I don't want to give them more than we have to, so... I say one coin. Let's keep it neutral. One coin. All right. Next, we're going to choose a special ability. Similarly to all of the playbooks, the crew has a special ability they can choose. There's a lot of good ones, too. I haven't actually looked at the Bravos before. Yeah, they've got some really fun ones. What about Blood Brothers? Um, We're homies. Uh, It says, when you fight alongside your cohorts in combat, they get plus one dice for teamwork rolls, which are set up in group actions. And all of our cohorts get the thugs type for free. If they're already thugs, we can do something else. But they get the thugs type. Oh, basically meaning all of our cohorts are going to be muscly. Don't worry, listeners. All of this will make sense in time. <laughs> but as far as like us specifically, uh, if we're working together, we get more dice to roll. I like Blood Brothers. I like War Dogs. Those are my two votes. War Dogs is when you're at war with another faction, your crew does not suffer negative one hold, and PCs still get two downtime activities instead of just one. So the question here is, do you guys want to be at war frequently? I, do we want to be, or will we be? I, that's why I was thinking that's like a more of a backup plan. That's like a... <laughs> if things go south, yes, then we want that. Like if we take Blood Brothers and then we do go to war, we'll be like, gosh, I wish we'd taken War Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but if we take Blood Brothers, maybe we'll be less likely to go to war because our roles will be better in the first place. I mean, if we want to make this more complicated, uh, <laughs> we can take a special ability from another crew book, too. We don't have to go with one specifically from the Bravos. Well, this has already been exceedingly simple. So <laughs> I think I think Blood Brothers is good to start us Blood off. Brothers is my vote. Let's do it. All right. Next thing we're going to get is some crew upgrades. And there's a whole bunch of upgrades that we can choose from. There are crew-specific upgrades, like for the Bravos specifically, they can have contacts in the prison. They could get two free load of weapons and armor, which is something that we'll talk about later, essentially how much gear can you bring on your jobs with you. And they can also upgrade their lair, like they can make their lair be hidden, or they can have a vault where they can store more coin in their lair than they could just have on their person normally. So there's a lot of them here. We get two crew upgrades. Two of them should be pre-selected. You have training and prowess. So whenever one of you guys takes a training downtime activity, you get an extra XP with that. And you already start out with a cohort of thugs. You have a group of knee breakers who are friends with you already. Hot dog. Look at us. We don't even have to get our hands dirty. We are a true gang. We have the three (laughs) of us and our cohorts. I like this already. Bravos was a good choice, guys. Yeah. And we choose one more? Yeah, if we choose another one, I kind of like the idea of getting to take more stuff into our jobs. Yeah, I I really always like the idea of having two free load. (laughs) It's always nice to be able to have a backup. Yeah, this is specifically two free load of weapons and armor. So that'll be something to keep in mind, but very useful. Having a hidden lair could also be useful. I think a hidden lair might be more useful right now. I like it, and it works with our idea of still setting it up. So we set it up, 
and we really focused on the hidden layer part before we got the pet shop running. So hidden layer and Bravo's rigging two free load of weapons and armor. Oh, we can do both. Yeah. Oh, it's two oh, more. Okay. Both. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Wait, what are elite thugs? Do we want our thugs to be elite thugs? Ooh. Yeah. So if you choose the elite thugs, all of your cohorts with the thug type get plus one die to their quality roll for thug related actions. And all of our cohorts automatically have the thug type because of Blood Brothers. Guys, we're gaming the system. I think that sounds pretty wise. Let's do turbo thugs right out the gate. I think we can start off with a little lower load going into our jobs in order to make sure our crew is top tier. Yeah. All right. Now, since we start out with a cohort, we get to design this cohort. Wow. First, before we get to that, we do need to do some more of the faction game. So one faction helped us to get an upgrade and we take plus one status with them. One faction was harmed when we got an upgrade. We take minus two status with them. One personal rule that I'm going to make here is in Blades in the Dark, there are so many factions. There's <laughs> like, I want to say five dozen or so different factions. Uh, we have significantly fewer of them. So the faction game is less widespread. As soon as you get minus three status with the faction, then you're at war. And since there are fewer factions to go around, you're more likely to be hitting the same factions over and over again, which means you get to war much quicker. So I think for this, since we have fewer factions, I'm probably going to have it whenever the book says take minus two status with a faction, we'll do minus one status instead. We appreciate that greatly. <laughs> so one faction helped us and we benefit from that. One faction was harmed and that is bad for us. So do we think a faction helped us to get the elite thugs or helped us to get the hidden lair? Probably where we're just starting out, I would guess probably a group of trained thugs were sent our way from another crew. That does make sense. Didn't you also mention, though, that we got the lair from someone? Yeah, so either way, you got the lair from the Bossing Say Kennel Club. Now it's just a matter of are they being helpful about it or are they upset about it? Did we steal a lair from these guys? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that the thugs they helped us with, but they're not happy that we have a hidden lair on their turf now. So we'll say we get minus one status with the Bossing Say Kennel Club because you took one of their shops and you'll get plus one status with whichever faction got you that group of thugs. We'll say that group is going to be the Jings. Uh, the Jings are a team of Bravos. Their, their situation has changed a little bit from that whole Lunkau city block thing that happened in the Fight Club one shot, but we'll get into that in a little bit. For the time being, you've got plus one status with the Jings, minus one status with the Bossing Say Kennel Club. Positive Jing. <laughs> Positive <go>. Jing. <laughs> now we choose who our favorite contact is. We have a few different options on our playbook here. You've got a pit fighter, a member of the city guard, a blacksmith, a physiker, a ward boss, and a tavern owner. I know we've already got Bone Saw Scary Man as a physiker. Sawtooth. Sorry, Sawtooth. Not Bone Saw. I was thinking of uh, something else. It's all right. I'm always thinking about Spider-Man too. Um, <laughs> what is a ward boss? That would be uh, more of a working class kind of situation. Like this guy is in charge of the people who handle shipments coming in from outside of Bossing Say. Or this is the guy in charge of the farmers who are bringing their produce into the city, that kind of stuff. Okay. It's kind of like a city guard in our pocket. That feels like just a really good thing to have. I can't fight that. Yeah. I like it. Let's do it. Let's get the guard. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let me look at my list of NPC names. 
Uh, we'll just call this guy General Tso. General Tso? <laughs> you can't do that. No, we'll not, we'll not go that. You would be a lieutenant at this point. <laughs> We're not going to go that off the rails this early on. Uh, we'll call this guy Boots. Boots? Boots. Boots. Because he's just out there hitting the pavement. I like it. And now we continue with the faction game. One faction is friendly with Boots. We take plus one status with them. One faction is unfriendly with Boots. Take minus one status with them. So it makes sense the guards would be friendly with them. Mm -hmm. Is the guards a faction? Yes. So aside from the specific crews, we also have factions for the different uh, sort of political and logistical factions within the city and also just the citizenry of each district. So we'll say that'll give you plus one with the guards. These are just like, generally speaking, the law enforcement, but the Earth King does also have his anti-corruption task force. We could give you minus one status with them. That makes a lot of sense since it would be corrupt for him to deal with us. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're ruining Boots' life, guys. He'll just join us eventually. All right. And now we get to decide who our cohort is going to be. Now, when you select a cohort, you have the option to either make it be a single expert or a group of a specific type. Since we already know, like they gave us this upgrade, it is specifically a gang of thugs. Uh, we're gonna go with that. But in the future, we could say, we want an expert tinkerer or that kind of thing. So a group of thugs is killers, brawlers, and roustabouts. The gang has scale and quality equal to your current crew tier, which is zero. That makes things pretty easy. What about them being elite thugs? Does that make them one? Uh, yes, that does give them plus one quality. Yeah. What we need to choose now are some edges and some flaws. If we choose one edge, we need to choose one flaw, or we could choose two edges and two flaws. The options are as follows. The edges are fearsome. They are terrifying in aspect and reputation. Independent, they can be trusted to make good decisions and act on their own initiative in absence of direct orders. They are loyal. They can't be bribed or turned against you. Or they are tenacious. They won't be deterred from attack. The flaws, however, there is principled. They have an ethic or values they won't betray. They are savage. They are excessively violent and cruel. They are unreliable, they aren't always available due to other obligations, stupefaction from their vices, etc. Or they are wild, they are drunken, debauched, and loud-mouthed. I mean, I think loyalty has got to be one of our picks. That feels pretty reasonable. <laughs> I feel like it doesn't matter what kind of cohort we choose, we always got to make sure they're loyal. I don't want to be betrayed by... I don't want to be betrayed by anyone but you guys. Aww, that's so thoughtful. <laughs> So we can do two each if we want to really make these guys something. That is true. I was thinking loyal and the one where they are trusted to make intelligent decisions. Loyal and independent. Loyal and independent. And then for the vice or the bad ones, choosing something like the one where they're way too violent. Savage. Because if we can trust them, then sure they might be savage, but we can trust them to make reasonable decisions. Two, if we do two edges, we gotta do two flaws. I just don't know what the other flaw would be that I would choose. I really want them to be drunken. I want them to be principled, because <laughs> then they've got an ethics or values they won't betray, so like they might just straight up refuse to do certain jobs for us. Since this is our first one, I might encourage you to choose just one of each, but you can choose two of each if you would like. What if we do, we can trust them and they have principles? Just that's it. Can we go up from there? Like, do they do they level up with us at all? Or the, the... You can add additional gang types to your cohorts, but you cannot give them additional edges or flaws. However, in the future, you can gain additional cohorts that you could give edges and flaws to as you choose. Okay. 
So when we say we trust them, is that we trust them not to betray us, loyal, or trust them to do the job on their own, independent. I don't want to be betrayed. Yeah, loyal. Yeah, I'm going with that. All right. Loyal and principled. Call them man's best friends. <laughs> wow. Man's best friends. And the leader of this group of thugs will be named General Tso. <laughs> oh gosh. Something about that feels wrong. <laughs> Actually, since they're man's best friends, we'll go with Eelhound. Oh. Eelhound. That's a good name for like a, a sub boss. Maybe General So is just an actual general in the bossing sake. <laughs> <laughs> he's a legit, he's a very serious military figure. You need to stop mocking him. Yeah, we, we will meet General Tso at some point in this campaign. Don't you worry. <laughs> well, guys, we've got players. We've got a crew. I think we're uh, ready to start this campaign. We did it. Woo! We will admit it. it's a bit of a leap from as far as complexity from Avatar Legends. So mm -hmm. we will keep you in the loop as we, as we continue to work through this. Yes. There was a lot of heavy mechanical stuff right here off the beginning, but all of those little bits and pieces will be explained as we go through. And uh, it's the kind of game that really starts to make more sense when you actually see it in action. So don't worry, you'll catch on just fine. I'm excited. And with that, we will uh, see you guys next week for the first official episode of this campaign, exploring the underbelly of Bossing Say with these here people. But for now, dang it, I, I need to revise my uh, outro because it's a new campaign. <laughs> uh, in any way, you know all this stuff. We've got a sister podcast. I cast Fireball, a D&D 5e actual play. They're getting very popular and it's very exciting. So never been a better time to hop on the train. We've got our fake campaigns you can listen to. We've got ImpTab Avatar 10,000 things you can listen to. We've got a Patreon that you can go check out. Uh, we've got bonus content over there and a Discord that you can hop into. We are also an affiliate with Fanroll, formerly Metallic Dice Games. If you use coupon code Vroom Vroom Fifi at checkout, you can get 10% <laughs> off your order there. And uh, let's see, anything else I'm forgetting? We love you guys. We love you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate. Uh, this is coming out in January. Never mind. Didn't realize that. <laughs> we did not record it in January. I'll tell you that. But in any case, uh, we will see you next week for the beginning of this campaign. I have been Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I've been joined by... Christian Randall playing Tonin Yoru. Evan Peterson playing Siwei Lang. Thomas Ryan playing Hu Wei Young. Much love and stuff, everybody. We'll catch you next time on ImpTab Avatar Blades in the Dao Fei. Thank you.